you're listening to the Beyond the Page podcast, where we go beyond the Oregon State campus and into our communities to talk about the best thing in life, art. This podcast is hosted by the PRISM staff, OSU's art and literary journal for students, by students. I'm your host today, Tosca Rutolo. Today, I'm joined by local band Skeleton Boy. They've taken the valley by storm, playing alongside Danny Shaw, Glide Divine, Reptile Love Child, and Billy and the Kids. You just heard a clip from their song, Bel Delfino Plaza. And stick around to the end of the episode to hear some more. Check out their newest EP, Commit to the Bit, featuring songs like Emperor Palpitations and My Ramona Lisa, now out on all streaming platforms. It is my absolute pleasure to have the members of Skeleton Boy with me in the studio today. Thank you guys so much for joining me. Yeah, thanks for having us. Thanks for having us here. Yeah, so why don't we each go around and uh, introduce yourself? All right. Uh, my name is Derek Prince, and I raised my hand so everyone could see. <laughs> uh, I play keys in Skeleton Boy. I'm Alyssa. Uh, I play bass, and it's been a lot of fun playing with all these guys. Oh. Uh, my name is Joel. Uh, I play drums. Uh, and I'm Nick, and I also I play guitar, and I do some of the Halloween Skeleton Boy. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, thank you guys for coming in. And we're welcome. so happy to be here. Oh. Legitimately. <laughs> <laughs> so tell me a little bit about how y'all started playing together. Um, so Alyssa is kind of like a new addition, so we have to back up a little bit. Like the three, Derek, Joel, and I all met working together, and it was kind of one of those like backroom scenarios where like we found out through playing music, closing a store together, that we're like, oh, we like similar music. This is really cool. And then... From there, there was the natural, what if we started a band? And then we took that conversation very, very seriously. And it's been six, six, uh, years. six years now. Yeah. And then we kind of got to a point where the trio sound, like during quarantine, we recorded the new EP, Commit to the Bit. And we had kind of always had a rule before that like we weren't going to try to record anything that we couldn't easily replicate live. And mm -hmm. as a trio, that was kind of a constricting idea musically. So during quarantine, we decided not to think about that anymore and just do whatever we could with what we had. And we made a really good EP, but it was something that was kind of hard to perform live. So we decided to kind of switch some roles around. We got Alyssa. Alyssa, how did you actually find the ad? I don't know if I know this story. <laughs> I honestly don't remember. It was either on Instagram or Facebook. And I was probably like half asleep, like almost ready to go to bed. And I was like, you know what? I'm, I don't know if this is going to work, but I'm just going to message these guys because that sounds like a lot of fun. <laughs> and I did. And you actually responded. So that was cool. And it's been a lot of fun. Yeah. has been. <laughs> and have you been playing bass for a long time? Yeah, since about 2016. Um, I heard the jazz band playing in the music hall in high school, and I decided that I would teach myself how to play bass because I thought that was really cool. That is really cool. And did y'all start, like, in Corvallis in Oregon, or have you migrated here throughout the years? No. Well, so, like, I mean, so I'm Albany-Corvallis area mm -hmm. and stuff. I did um, mostly Albany, but I lived over here in Corvallis for, like, a little bit during, like, my post-high school years and stuff. But then, like, Derek, you're from mostly here, yeah. right? No, I grew up in Salem, McMinnville, but Albany was where you did, like, the second half growing up. It's where I met these guys. I... Uh, where we, we work together. It was, yeah, genuinely one of those, uh, we should start a band. And then everyone looks around and like, oh, nobody's kidding. <laughs> oh, no. We got to start this out. And it was, it was, yeah, uh, 
guitar and bass, and I was on this little tiny uh, electric set that had no give whatsoever. And every time we'd finish it, like, my wrists are going to fall off. Like, <laughs> this hurts so bad. Uh, and that, I think that was when we decided, we're like, oh, no, we're going to do it for real. If we're going to go rescue a drum set for me to play, then it's like, we're going to do it legit here. Because Joel's not from around here, and we had to go to, where was Arizona for drums? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you uh, were in the car. I was. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it was uh, it was a legitimate rescue mission. We had I had a drum kit that I had purchased when I was living in Arizona. We're in Arizona. Uh, Sierra Vista? No, I grew up in Mesa. Okay, cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so it's like three hours south of Mesa, like mm -hmm. the Phoenix area, mm -hmm. um, for those of you that wouldn't know. Um, <laughs> Most people. Yeah, exactly. Um, but it's like, if you're like a military brat or you moved around a lot, most people know Sierra Vista because of that, because it has like one of the, the foremost, um, like prolific training grounds for drone flight mm. as far as military goes in the United States. And so everybody like that lives in Sierra Vista is either a military brat or got sucked into the small town vibes and never escaped because mm. that's what happens to people. <laughs> um, but yeah, I bought this little jazz kit from what I can only describe as an old jazz man, um, which sounds like an exaggeration, but literally it was like the 70-year-old white dude that had been playing this kit and beating yes. the absolute feet off this kit for years. And uh, he was like, yeah, I'll sell you this kit for 400 bucks. And I was like, cool, I'm down to be taken for a ride. Um, so I bought the drum set and... Uh, um, it kind of became like my main instrument for like dealing with, you know, like emotional turmoil. Cause like nothing feels better than hitting something and getting a satisfying sound out of it. Even if you're not hitting it quote unquote, right. Mm. And, uh, so that's the story of that drum set. And then when I moved from Arizona to Oregon or back to Oregon, cause I spent a good chunk of my formative years on the Eastern side of the state. Um, I moved back up there and we got the kit and then we did that half thing where it's the opposite of what we did, where as a joke, we go, we start a band, you jam once, and then, you know, you're not friends anymore. <laughs> <laughs> and so it was just wasting away in um, my friend's parents' garage. And so we drove all the way across the state and back in a day to bring the drum set to a place where it's going to get love. And then, you know, the rest is five years of history leading up to the last six months of us taking this so seriously that we added a fourth member and, you know, yeah. <laughs> recorded a full-blown EP and, yeah. That's so exciting. Yeah, it's, it's tale as old as time. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like, like, first breaking into, like, playing live for people? Like, what was that experience like for y'all? Back from quarantine or originally? Or, let's start originally. Um, originally was kind of, uh, I think I, I listened to the Danny Shaw episode and we had a similar experience where we we're talking about, um, open mics mm. was our big thing. Like we had, um, yeah, I think it, it all comes back to open mics cause we would go to, um, bombs away had the one then. And then it was, uh, cloud and Kelly's, cloud and Kelly's had an open mic then and they don't anymore. Cloud and Kelly's isn't even there. No, they had no. like a name change and the yeah. name changed back and then the owner sold the business and, and they yeah. were a tiki bar for a week. It's been a while. Week. Yeah. <laughs> so we uh, were just like doing those open mics all the time and then we kind of just like got to know people in the scene like mm. at that point and it was um, 
Riptide's The Sky <coughs> and A Stardust were like the two bands that we kind of like played around with them up for the most part. Um, we ended up in Albany. There was a bar there called Riley's for a while that we kind of stumbled into like being their music night because they had nothing else going on. <laughs> and so like, granted, most like there weren't a lot of people that ever showed up. It was mostly just us like practicing or playing for our friends. But we could show up there on what was it Wednesdays? Wednesdays. Mm-hmm. We just show up there on Wednesdays and we, they'd, we'd be like, "Can we play?" And they're like, "Yeah, sure, yeah." You just have to tell <laughs> us if you're not going to come next week because it got to the point where we would just kind of be like, "Hi, we're here. Though. It's good to see you, but you should come more often." Um, and so yeah, it kind of and then I think you went to that um, bitter half show. Yeah, Mudville. Yep, and so that was kind of our first, like, whoa, like, this is, like, a really big moment for us where we were kind of, like, part of the scene beyond just, like, they, they'd let us do a show at Cloud and Kelly's, and I think we'd played at Bombs at that point, too, just because we'd been around for so much that they're like, hey, do you want to fill in? Like, we need a band. We're like, yes. But, mm-hmm. yeah, that Mudville show was kind of the first big deal. And then post-quarantine, um, we're really good friends with Reptile Love Child, mm-hmm. and Justice from Reptile Love Child has been playing at... Um, Mercedes and Brewing in Lebanon since he was like at least 19, maybe even younger than that. And so like he has a rapport there that he can just kind of do shows there for the most part whenever he wants if there isn't something else going on. And that was kind of our launch pad post-quarantine was we were just doing shows with his band and it kind of like stumbled into like we did a show with his band that somebody saw us and we ended up doing a house show um with this band Hush Hush, um, it was, uh, the Worthless Hotel is what the place is called, and from there we met Billy and the Kids, and then we became fast friends with Billy and the Kids because they're amazing, and then that kind of was just like the springboard into like, oh, we're kind of part of this like, like you said, it's a very fast growing scene right now. It's been crazy, and like, yeah, we kind of came into it, I think, assuming that people had been around longer, and they hadn't been. It was kind of just everybody was like, oh. There's an opportunity, let's go, and we've all just kind of been, like, running and having fun playing music. Yeah, I mean, even, like, a a band that's been around so much, like Billy and the Kids, they just had their, like, six-month anniversary. Mm -hmm. It's really exciting. I think it's also really, like, inspiring for young musicians as well, where it's like, yeah, it seems like, you know, you go up there and they're, like, the band, but they're just, like, they just, they just started. Yep. And Alyssa, have you gotten a chance to play, like, a gig with these guys yet? Uh, yeah, actually, um, where was it? Where did we play? Abursidious. Abursidious, yes. We went to go play at Borsidius in Lebanon, and that was a really cool opportunity to play live after such a long time, especially um, during quarantine. You know, like that two years was a long time not to be able to play live, and it's great to get back into it. And yeah. these guys are awesome, and the crowd was awesome. It's just, you know, good vibes all around. Yeah. I noticed there was like a little bit of a like a shuffling of the instruments as well because last time I saw y'all play was at IHOP House mm-hmm. and you were playing I don't know what's called like slap box. Oh yeah, it's um a uh, kind of cajon, which is yes. like a hand drum. Yeah. Uh, but it's specifically like a proprietary one they call a slap top. Slap top. Uh, <laughs> nice. And so <laughs> since I'm so tall, I'm like six and a half feet tall. Sitting on a normal cajon ends up making you look like a full-on bridge troll, just like hunched <laughs> mm-hmm. over. Uh, so I was like, oh, that's way easier for me to play. Because um, for a while, we were doing uh, a lot of really stripped-down acoustic shows. Yeah. Um, and I think that really helped to build, I don't know, I always feel weird saying build an audience, but meeting up with folks who come to these things just to 
hang out. Like, they know music happens here. We're not necessarily here for this band. Mm-hmm. Um, but to slowly start to win people over with that and then now be able to play at full strength with Alyssa, it's like, I'm just excited to get back out there and play again because, like, I think we sound pretty neat. Um, but it's going to be even more exciting to see a lot of those same folks that we would see at the more stripped-down acoustic shows and show them. It's like, okay, you thought you met Skeleton Boy. Allow us to reintroduce ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. And what kind of, like, changes have y'all noticed between the shows that you, you know, you were playing before the pandemic and now, like, house show vibes, you know, audience vibes? What kind of changes have you noticed? Um, The crowds are different. Yeah. It's it's crazy. You don't really think about it. But, like, playing, at least for us, our experience, like, gigging in the, like, the gig economy, like, pre-pandemic was really different because um, when we were doing open mics at Bombs Away and Cloud and Kelly's, there was a huge portion of the artists that would show up that were, like, OSU, post-grad, um like well-to-do in their respective careers kind of people pursuing music as like a passion project. Mm -hmm. And a good chunk of the people that we had made connections with pre-pandemic were like older people Mm -hmm. and just like in their 30s and 40s that are coming out that's like, I've been playing guitar since 1992 and writing like really avant-garde music that's inspired by music that hasn't been in vogue for shout out Ramblin' Dan yeah shout out Ramblin' Dan Dan. yeah um Dan Mernan (laughs) Dan the man Mernan god bless him but uh yeah the the crowd's really different and it way we got to play a couple of open mics at um Bombs Away in the last few months where you go through and like obviously the crowd's going to be a bunch of college kids because it's literally like a block removed from campus Mm -hmm. um they do the open mics on like thursdays which from what i understand is like not a heavy load night for a lot of people Mm -hmm. and so um the performing groups and the crowd are a lot younger than they were when we were doing this pre-pandemic and um that's what we've seen in like the house shows and stuff too. Like we recently went to um, a show that Angelo put on and um, there were a couple bands there where uh, they were people that had like met each other through the open mic scene Mm -hmm. and like just decided to start gigging together as a full band. Yeah. And so that, that was something that we didn't see at all pre pandemic where it was kind of like, if you're booking a gig, but you're performing open mics as a solo act, you're probably booking that gig as a solo act. You're not really meeting people. Mm -hmm. And so like post pandemic, it's, it's almost like the musicians have forged a stronger camaraderie with each other than before Mm -hmm. where they're willing to like invest in the local scene and community and like are down to help provide outlets for people that, you know, need somewhere to be that can be, you know, stimulating, but also not intimidating, like a very welcoming space where you can go in and you can be yourself and have a good time without, you know, worrying about 
the the dude who's three generations removed from you <laughs> sitting down at the bar scoffing at every acoustic rendition of a hip-hop song that comes on during the open <laughs> mic night. No yeah. shade. No, I know exactly like, what you mean. Yeah. 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 I think, too, it's like, it's like you're saying, Joel, there's been um, a lot more of a focus on community, I think, that we've noticed. Like, it's not like playing like we were playing shows before we were playing with like mean bands or there wasn't camaraderie before but it just kind of seems like to me that the there's been a shift since the pandemic happened where everybody came back out and we're just like let's do this let's do this together you know we don't know we just lost like you know a whole year of our lives like let's just three years yeah to, mm-hmm. yeah yeah and let's just you know take the ball and run with it now and yeah. like play some shows together because yeah we just met such good friends like and like people like you're talking about like uh glide divine danny shaw reptile love child like the list goes on and on and on of just like awesome folks that we've met that like it's hard to make friends as an adult and it's really easy in this <laughs> music scene like seriously honestly like, and i haven't even been playing with you guys for very long but i've already met so many cool people even it's so cool it's definitely a community like you said it's nice to experience. Yeah, absolutely. And everybody it feels like everybody's on the same page of like, hey, we're going to be smart about how we do this because it's like, we all know what it felt like to have everything just shut down mm-hmm. and then be like, well, we're kind of out spinning in the wind. Yeah. But it's with this, everybody's on the same page of like, this is how we do things here. This is how we take care of each other. Uh, this is you know the way things are going to go. And mm-hmm. it's one of those things like, all the kids get to have a like get a get happy meals if they do the right thing. <laughs> so it's like all of all of us are being like, all right, we gotta make sure we don't make mom mad. <laughs> yeah, there's definitely feels like there's at least from an audience member's perspective been a really big focus on like safety and both COVID wise and just generally safety in these show spaces wise. I was talking in the interview with uh, Onion Machine about how important it is to them that like. It's fun if the band is having fun, but it doesn't matter if people in the audience aren't having fun or if there's safety issues in the audience. And I think that's something that we're continuing to work on in the Corvallis house show scene by like calling out people who are predators and like, you know, shutting down spaces that aren't safe. And I think that's really important. Yeah, no, completely agree. Well, and it's I think we all too saw like a grand example of like how scary shows can get with like what happened at Astroworld. And, like, a lot of these shows are in, like, basements and stuff. And you can just as easily with, you know, a bunch of people crammed into a basement create a scary, crushed kind of thing. And, yeah, I think that's, for the most part, I think everybody really does a good job with, like, putting safety at the forefront of it, though, and making sure that we can. Because if if one of those shows gets shut down, it's going to be a lot harder to do those shows in general. And we want shows to keep happening in Corvallis. This is so fun. We don't want this to go away. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, like before the pandemic, uh, I wanted to jump into the house show community, but I didn't know it existed really. And then afterwards, because it started with like going to shows in Mudville and then, you know, the pandemic happened. And then there's like Jug House, IHOP, Big Bad Blue House, uh, Ivy League, all these places. And it's just like, it's crazy that in this little, little town with this like little college, I mean, it's not that little, but you know what I mean? <laughs> uh, yeah, this, little, this little town, this kind of like little redneck town. And then, you know, there's this huge thriving community, which is so exciting. And it's not just for college students, which I think is also awesome. I mean, lots of the people who are headlining these events aren't college students, but right. there's no feeling of like, oh, well, you don't belong here because you're not you're not studying chemical engineering at OSU, so get out, you know? <laughs> I think you make a good point, too, because I think the audiences are very welcoming. And that was, to speak on what Joel was talking about before, a little bit shocking, because when we really, we were, 
when we started in this scene, it was a lot more of the like 30s crowd. And mm-hmm. so we were kind of the younger people that's like, okay, here's this like band that's like a little pop punk band. They're going to come here and be like all wily while we're trying to do folk music and stuff. And so <laughs> it was really like we went to that um, that house show at um, Worthless Hotel. And it was just like it just Joel and I were at that one. And we were both kind of just like, whoa. This is a younger crowd than we're used to playing to. And then IHOP, it was even more that. And I don't know, like, I we weren't really part of the house show scene before quarantine because I don't think it was there like this. Like, I've known of, like, places like Mudville and stuff, which I think you could classify as, like, a house kind of venue. But for the most part, like, yeah. I don't know of other places before that. And maybe I'm just not cool, but, like, it's <laughs> it's really easy to find places now because they advertise it. They're excited about it. Like Yeah. I definitely had the feeling before the pandemic that you had to be, like, cool and invited to things. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, I'm just, like, not getting invited to the house shows. And it's like, no, they just maybe they just weren't happening. That's or, how you we know. felt. Yeah. Was it was, yeah, it... it uh, using the term boys club feels a little disingenuous but in in some circumstances that's what it was like you you could not get in to like like outside of the house show scene which just like you we didn't really know was a thing until we got asked to share a bill at Mudville yeah. it was you weren't able to really book you know gigs at um bombs or cloud and kelly without like cloud and kelly's without like establishing a rapport with the people that work there Mm -hmm. and like you had to have an in and somebody to vouch for you and it was it was a lot more insular than it is now where it's like you can drop off a cd somewhere and if somebody enjoys like the music and can catch a vibe then you know it's people it just feels a lot more open you know doors open come on in kind of environment yeah I think that's also kind of maybe part of the benefit of living kind of in Corvallis where it's a valley in between Eugene and then there's Portland because Portland has so many venues and so many places to go and so many bands to see and Eugene also but Eugene and Corvallis are kind of in this sweet spot where it's like enough but not too much where you don't feel like it's like a like a what is it small fish in a big pond kind of thing mm-hmm. but and then you can move up to Portland and kind of break into that scene too I mean people like Billy and the Kids and a lot of groups are breaking into the Portland scene too which is so cool. That's crazy. Well, it's funny too because Billy and the Kids are from Portland, and they've just they've espoused how much they love the Corvallis scene because they've said it's so much easier to get in here than Portland, and that we're just nice here. I don't know what it is, <laughs> but like the people that yeah. we've met playing here are just like they're excited about the community, and I think that's what makes this so fun. Is that like we can go to like um, Ant Hill, uh, we can go to like places like that, and I think like before, like pre pandemic we might have had the mindset of it's like a networking kind of opportunity of like oh, we'd like to play here. We can go see these other bands, schmooze with these people. And when we do it, though, like, in reality, it's like, I'm just excited to go see, like, Aunt Jello and Billy and the Kids play. Yeah. Like, I bands like, um, what was, uh, what was it? It was Dreamcaster, Versa Vice, Common Koi, and Billy and the Kids, and Aunt Jello. And Aunt yeah, yeah, it's like, what, we paid, like, six bucks for that ticket to just it's go, like, hang out? crazy lineup. Yeah. yeah. It's so fun. Like, I just want to go to those shows to be there to experience them because it's, it's super cool. It's yeah. such a cool scene. I was talking to Glide Divine because they were doing one of the shows under the Hawthorne Bridge, 
and they were like, yeah, we're one of like 10 bands and it's eight bucks. And it's like, oh, I could pay eight bucks to go watch music for like literally five hours. Yeah, sign me up. We're doing one of those tomorrow and we're really excited about it. Actually, <laughs> That's like, really that was, exciting. Yeah, and like it's uh, Audrey Price. She's like booking those shows all summer and just seems like she's trying to get like anybody involved, like on a singer songwriter level too, like, like people with just acoustic guitars and stuff. It's super cool. We're really excited to be a part of that. That's awesome. That's really exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You're working on a project. Do we want to talk about that or no? Do we just want to tease that? Um, yeah, no, sure. We can talk about it. Um, so uh, one of the things that like the pandemic, like granted the pandemic did, you know, rob a lot of people of their livelihoods and the number that it's done on like the communal mental health of just the people all over the world is just like, it's, it is not irreversible, but it's in such a state that it feels that way. And but one of the the boons of the pandemic was everybody had a lot more free time. Mm -hmm. And um, one of the things that uh, I took up as part of like a, a fun little like learning project was uh, I used that first stimulus check to purchase an Ableton license and like actually start to figure out how to set up like a home recording space and like what you can do with like less than optimal setups to get the most out of a garage <laughs> and um <clears throat> less than optimal yeah <laughs> so it's like you're you're playing in a concrete cube yeah and how can you make it sound like it's not a concrete cube <laughs> and so i spent like the first entire year of the pandemic just like getting ableton under my fingertips and just like playing with it like a ball of play-doh like what does this do? What does that do? What what fun shapes can I make? Does yeah. this taste good? No, it's <laughs> terrible and salty. But I learned my lesson. And um, the, the result of all of that was the EPs that we released. So we came out with Pure Cowardice, and then we came out with Commit to the Bit, and then we came out with Commit to the Bit. Um, and those were all recorded in our garage. And... Um, that wouldn't have been possible without like the free time that that gave us. Um, but because it was something that I took on as kind of like a passion project, it's really scrappy. Mm. And so uh, one of the things that we're working on right now, um, we kind of fell into a theme with Commit to the Bit and Commit to, where it was um, like the album art was inspired by like alcoholic beverages and stuff like that. Like on the cover of Commit to the Bit, we had a six pack mm -hmm. that was, um, instead of having like alcohol content and like flavor descriptors, it was like little snippets about the band and then the band name. Um, and I pitched the idea to Nick that um, using like the collective knowledge that I've got from three years of Ableton as opposed to like throwing everything together with just like a year of just free time, mm -hmm. um, remastering all those EPs and then re-releasing everything as like an 18 rack. Nice. Um, <laughs> that's really cool. Yeah. And so that's something that we're actually like actively working on having to put out um, hopefully by the summer. Um, that's the timeline for it. But yeah, and it's so it's going to be like, I wouldn't say that it's like the definitive listening experience for these because I, I feel like. Hold on, okay, Joel's so modest. So the, the, <laughs> let me step on it. You're not no, gonna... <laughs> no, 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 no. The, obviously, like, I've figured out how to squeeze a little bit more 
quality out of these like poop tier recordings that we had <laughs> um because like our setups just gotten so much better and like just investing time into something um but the uh it's going to be the best way to listen to those EPs. Mm-hmm. It's def- it's not going to be the best way to listen to us because I, I feel like um, our sound evolved a lot mm-hmm. over the pandemic and we don't sound anything like <laughs> the band we were when we initially recorded those EPs. We found a whole extra person along the yeah. way. <laughs> and, and now we have a fourth member and with Derek switching from drums to keys, it's provided us yeah. um, the ability to start doing the things that we started implementing on Commit 2, which was keys. Yeah. And so that became less of a studio album and more of an actual realistic like performing piece. And so... Um, yeah, so right now that's the project is, is it's me trying to bring the first two EPs up to the most recent EPs level and then bringing all of them up to the same level of polish beyond that because, you know, time makes all the difference in the world. Yeah. <laughs> but what about the songs on the CD that I got like three years ago? Pure Cowardice. So it'll be the first time that Pure Cowardice is on streaming services. Nice. We're actually going to officially yeah. get that on there. Well, it's I'm very fun. excited for that. Well, I see that. I'm very hyped. <laughs> it's fun because, like, Joel has gone through and, like, they, we, we kind of, we realized that, like, the, the commit to recordings were, like, quieter than we wanted. And so we're trying to figure out how to do it. I'm like, Joel, can you, can you learn how to master? And then, like, over the course of two days, you learned how to roughly to master and then yeah. brought back, it's like, here, it's not, yeah, we, we've, we figured out a lot of stuff. It's been really interesting. And it's, it's, it mainly comes from the fact that, like, Joel has learned all of this on the fly. Like, it's like, okay, let's learn in the process of doing this. We're going to record an EP, and by the time we get done with it, Joel's, like, mixing it going, oh, I can do all of this better now. I don't know why we did this like this, but it's because <laughs> yeah. we learned along the way. And it's, it's part of the fun, but then you look back and you're like, we can do this better. We yeah. can, how can we change this? And, yeah, yeah, that's really exciting. Pure Cowardice isn't going to sound like it's playing out of a speaker on, uh, like, a camcorder anymore. (laughs) The cymbals sound nice. That was the one thing. It's like, those make make the cymbals sound nice. Like, yeah, it's going to be cool. I'm not running mixed vocals through post-processing that makes everything sound like a McDonald's (laughs) (laughs) drive-thru. But it it still has that feel. Like, it still sounds good. It's kind of a charm, though. It's like, like, sometimes I'm on a road trip and I'm like, let's get this one out. It's just... Put it See, and listen to it in my and car. That's what's so scary. That's why. This. So that's <laughs> why. Because we've had the conversation about just re-recording the whole thing, and I've known of bands that have done that, where they've like taken like first EP and re-record it, and no one likes the, the re-recording as much because you don't have that emotional attachment. And so I've look at the Beatles remasters. I've not wanted to fall into that (laughs) trap, but I think that what Joel is doing with these recordings is going to make them sound really cool and might actually. I've, dissuade some people from thinking that the originals are better. I'm extremely excited. Cool. I'm extremely, especially for the Bella Swan song. I love that song so much. That's back in the set now soon because of you, just for the record. Yeah, like that thank was, you. Yeah, we're bringing that one back That makes me too. so happy. Yeah. I love that song so much. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's so exciting. Uh, do y'all want to talk a little bit about like where you get your musical inspiration? Like We could start from this side over. Sure. Uh, so I... I started out originally playing bass, yeah. Um, and my dad uh, has been a drummer since, like, before I was born. Um, so I grew up with the like eclectic mix of like Prague and Rush and uh, 
new wave like psychedelic furs, flock of seagulls. Um, so a lot of that in my mom's love for Def Leppard and all things glam, like it all sort of came together and I guess it was like, I don't know, pop punk and ska, we'll go with it. Uh, so like just listening to the way, especially those old uh, like first wave ska songs, um, they just lodged in my brain and I was like, these are so, like, they're so snappy, they're so fast, like, it makes me want to get up and move. Uh, and, like, as a chubby 12-year-old, it took a lot to get me to get up and move. Uh, <laughs> and I was just like, no, this is the kind of music that I don't, not only want to listen to, but I want to make. I want to make this kind of music. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it, if it's fun and it's snappy, like, I'm for it. As for me, most of... Um, well, I started out on clarinet, actually. Most of my musical experience is just more performative mm -hmm. um, through high school until I picked up bass, and um, somehow everyone needs a bass player. <laughs> <laughs> so it really hasn't been hard to, like, find other, you know, like, <laughs> before the pandemic, like, oh, you play bass, play for us, like... Um, but jazz has always stuck with me. I, I was lucky with uh, my family. They supported um, me playing. And I, I, I wanted to uh, learn what I could because it's something that gave me an emotional release. Like, I play guitar, not seriously, but it's fun, you know, to sing and play. And I use bass as um, something that I get to play with other people. Um, and like I said with my family, my Dutch grandpa, very eccentric man. I love him. I mentioned him to the band. He's, he's great. He <laughs> was in a, a band um, in the Netherlands in this small farm town that actually got pretty, pretty popular. And I liked to hear how they progressed in playing different venues and how they made a living off of that. And... It feels really nice to kind of take that and continue to play with really cool people. Um, like Skeleton Boy, I'm, all, I'm so happy <laughs> <laughs> to be a you. part of it now, yes. Aww. It's great. So yeah, I listen to a lot of jazz. I Right now, I'm definitely into hard rock metal phase. Mm. I listen to a lot of um, feminine presenting leading uh, people, which has been a lot of fun too. Have you ever listened? With. Have you ever listened to Tribe Eight? Yes, I just started listening to them, Dude. and they've been a lot of fun. Dude, and so High Tension, oh and God. a few others. That yeah, it's been a lot of fun to experience. Yes. <laughs> nice, sweet. What about y'all? Um, <clears throat> my musical inspiration's kind of all over the place. Um, I was raised in like a musical family. So like, not necessarily that we did a lot of musical things, but like growing up in a church, like you wind up like singing every Sunday and then, you know, you, you find something that you enjoy and you kind of just like latch onto it. And mm -hmm. so um, one of the things that I latched onto like coming up was um, like 
new metal and like alternative rock because that's what my older siblings were into because you know being raised in a christian household like the alternative becomes that much more attractive because it's something mm. that's like demonized by the community you're involved in yeah um and so like coming up i was like absolutely obsessed with bands like lincoln park and system of a down and like my chem um and then you know you you transition from the stuff that you have to hide from your parents to the stuff that like you can hear on the radio that's a little bit more easy listening for you know those christian adults <laughs> um and so transitioning away from like the heavier stuff to more um like folk music and stuff that leans into like the math rock territory that pulls inspiration from bands like Rush, you know, like uh, the Mars Volta and bands like that where um, people that were around when Rush was like taking over the scene and you had people worshiping at the altar of Getty Lee for all eternity. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, I like I have I owe a lot of my musical taste to my siblings because it was just like, yeah, here's all the CDs that we hide from mom and dad. Um, <laughs> and then here's the CDs that we don't hide. You're not allowed to talk about the stuff that we hide from mom and dad. And so it was just like a lot of rock against Bush compilations. Oh, yeah. And so like that was my exposure to bands like Rise Against and Anti-Flag mm -hmm. and um, Rage Against the Machine and like all these hyper leftist super aggressive bands that were you know using that same my way or the highway mentality but about politics that i you know yeah. were attractive as a child and have become the foundation for my leanings as an adult um and so yeah i i, I can't really narrow it down to like a few specific bands but right now the thing that has been taking up a lot of my time is like i've been doing a genuine deep dive into the system of a down discography. Like yes. <laughs> listen to the albums from start to finish in release order and just kind of like wrapping my brain around like the mental state that these people were in, in 1998 and 2001 and 2002 and like how the Bush administration like shaped global politics is just like the craziest rabbit hole to go down <laughs> through the lens of music. Yeah. And um, yeah, that's kind of been taking over my life. Like when I get a moment at work, like I'm just sitting there like, bounce! <laughs> <laughs> just jamming to myself, reading about how to help people with their teeth. <laughs> yeah, prison song has to be like one of the best songs in like ever. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> I just got done listening to um, the self-titled album yesterday because like I listened to it like three times through because I was like, that wasn't enough. Like I need more of this because toxicity is such like a huge departure from it's like so a lot of the weirdness that they go back to in later albums. And it's just like they meant business <laughs> when they came. They came out so hard. And it's just, yeah, it's, it's, that's where I'm pulling my inspiration from right now is just like really intentionally written music yeah. from people that I can agree with cool. in a casual conversation. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I also come from like a musical family kind of background and stuff, um, like mostly from my mom, like she's like a singer and stuff like that and plays piano. 
and uh, she had the rule when we were like growing up, like going into middle school. She's like, you've got to either learn an instrument or be in the choir. And so I picked up alto saxophone because that seemed like the coolest one at the time. And uh, I really enjoyed it. I played that up until like my junior year of high school and was like in the jazz band and really enjoyed that. Um, but I also like stole her acoustic guitar around that time and I got like all of those like angsty emotions that you've got when you're younger and stuff and I needed to like find a way to express that and that really like the acoustic guitar really helped um and it was like my formative music moment that I like recently remembered that I've like started telling everybody um is that I was like fifth grade going into sixth grade and there was like a battle of bands at like South or something like that, South Albany. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, I don't think they did a lot of those because I don't remember there being many after that one. It was like maybe that was the last one for a while. And I went there and I just remember like standing there with my friends and it was like in that, like it's like the mid 2000s. So it was a lot of that kind of like new metal hard rock kind of bands and stuff like that like I remember it being kind of scary in my head (laughs) but like it was just such a wild experience to be like standing there and being like oh I can do this like I have the tools to do this and like that's kind of been the big thing that's been driving us coming back and what's made this scene so fun is being like hey you can do this too we're just a bunch of fools that are friends and can get along and make music together and it is hard sometimes. It's easier but, said than done. Yes, but I, you know what? I mean, yeah, there's bands with more members than us. You know, Slipknot, for example. <laughs> <laughs> That's my deep dive in new metal lately as I've been going to Slipknot. Slipknot's um, great. It's good stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so I... Corn. Corn. My mom really likes corn. Do you guys like Insane Clown Posse? I have not yet gone through enough of their music to say that I like them, but I have. I don't dislike them anymore. I used to not. I used to be an ICP hater. Yeah, I used to like dislike them by default. Yeah, that's it's wrong. ICP's great. See, and I saw those the the first time I saw one of those Gathering of the Juggalo videos. I was like, wait, I These really cool. Was wrong. <laughs> yeah, no, I was. I was like, well, hold on. They're all nice, cool people. I guess transitioning into the song recommendation. My song recommendation for y'all is "When I'm Clowning" by ICP. There's a version of it on YouTube where Danny Shaw's, uh, not Danny Shaw. What? <laughs> Danny I Shaw wish, the Juggalo? I wish. Oh I wish. Called out. Called out. Confirmed. For I Juggalo. wish. I meant Danny Brown. Oh, okay. Oh, Danny right. Brown is a feature. <laughs> Danny Brown's great. That's uh, a crossover that I can get behind. Yes. So, do y'all have song recommendations for me and the audience? Ooh. Uh, yeah. If you're looking to get low key and sad. Uh, John K. Sampson, the uh, frontman and vocalist for the band The Weaker Thans, mm-hmm. uh, has an excellent solo album called Winter Wheat, and uh, the actually the title track is where I would start. It is excellent as a thesis statement for the album. Nice. Uh, I just got into listening to Heavens to Betsy, mm. and so I would recommend listening to Terrorist. It's a really That's good, a good song. song. Yes, That's I've been such a good so song. into it. Mm-hmm. Especially if you're in a bit of a in a rage, it's a good one. Oh god, <laughs> <laughs> it's a good one. <laughs> that is a good song. Yeah. Um, it it's really hard for me to narrow down like what I want to recommend right now. Um, if like, so I. <sighs> The one song that I'm gonna recommend, um, it's it's from a collective, so um, a lot of their music is really varied. Like think of it like if you saw Eighty Eight Rising as accredited artist, like it could be one of any artist that's signed to the label, and so it's like you could get anything. Yeah. 
I discovered over the last year a collective called Six Impala that does um, a bunch of really different like electronic music just like as a genre like not all of its EDM but like some of the stuff that you'd find um, that they would publish would be like you'd get like the hyper pop banger or like the crazy like dubstep hard Mm. style like more intense EDM experience Um, but one of the songs that's really stuck out to me is uh, this song called Toy Car um, which is like the antithesis of what you would expect out of an EDM song where it just kind of builds and builds and builds. And then at the moment that feels like it's going to like give you this massive culmination of all these awesome sounds, it cuts everything out. And then you get this cute little 808 like rim shot (laughs) and then it starts the verse over again. And it's the exact same verse that you just listened to. That's great. And then as they build again, the second time they add even more lush synths and stuff in there. And it just like, it builds to like this massive euphoric soundscape and then they cut everything out from under you again. And then they hit you with the 808 drums, drum kit, rim shots. I love that. And then they start the verse over again, but this time they're starting at the build up to the chorus. And then it builds up to just noise. Like it, it transitions from this lush soundscape to like that super wook head bangy dubstep sound. Yeah. And then everything just cuts out and the vocalist on the track literally just laughs at you and is like, dubstep sucks. <laughs> <laughs> and I, first time I heard it, I couldn't tell if it was a bit or not. That's um, the best kind of song. Yeah. That's like, I really like this band, uh, Clowncore. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not a bit, like just that. excellent musicality. Yeah. Oh. It's yeah. just like that. And then yeah. there's like a five second, like, diarrhea noise. And then yeah. it's like, <laughs> back into it. Yeah. <laughs> and that's like the best jazz, like, riff you've heard it's in years. So, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Keep that diarrhea noise dot wave on your desktop. Yeah. Ready oh, yeah. to go. Okay. Oh, yeah. It's just in case. It's that Berkeley funk that just, yeah. Like, that's, that's a thing, by the way. Look it up. Like that's Berkeley funk is real. You can't talk about diarrhea and then say Berkeley <laughs> funk. That's, that's what it is. It is like the. Oh, it is too it much is, coffee, too much bass. Yeah. Oh, the Berkeley funk. The Berkeley funk. It's it is musical memory. Lore by Vundabar nice. is my recommendation. <laughs> That's a good one. No preamble. <laughs> no, no, it's great. It's, it's a great song, and I can't stop listening to it. That's awesome. <laughs> no explanation either. That's okay. <laughs> he got in, he did his job, and he got out. Leave it to the audience to to find out on their own, mm-hmm. I guess. Just like they'll find out about Clowncore and ICP. And last episode, I talked about King Missile. Yes. So... Throwing, throwing a lot of fastballs at the audience. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much, Skeleton Boy, for joining me here today. This has been wonderful. Oh, yeah. Of course, it was yeah. great to be here. Thank yeah. you yeah. so much for having me. It's genuinely a pleasure. This yeah. is Thanks. very exciting. Yeah, I can't wait to have y'all out on the podcast. You got, yeah, we've got such a good lineup. Dude, Danny Shaw, Skeleton Boy, Glide Divine. I'm so happy with how the podcasts have been going recently. I am hyped. Sweet. All right. Well, make sure you check out Skeleton Boy everywhere you stream music. Take a listen to their newest newest release, Commit to the Bit. 
Follow them on Instagram at Skeleton Boy Band. That's all one word for updates on upcoming shows and releases. Thank you so much for listening to Beyond the Page. If you're listening to us on iTunes, then make sure you subscribe to get updates when a new episode is released. And we always love to hear from you, so don't be shy. Leave us a review. Give us a follow on our socials at OSU Prism. That's at O-S-U-P-R-I-S-M. Or check out our website, which is linked in the description. Big thanks to KBVRFM for your support in getting this podcast out on the radio. And thank you to Orange Media Network for making this podcast possible. We will see you next time we journey beyond the page.